Good morning. Thank you. Be seated. And good morning. Watching online, we welcome you as well. It's good to see everybody here. It's a, a big day in our service. We get to have a bunch of new children and uh, students in, in our presence during worship. Students, children, I have a question for you. What time is it? Oh, how about that, parents? You didn't know. We, you thought we weren't teaching them anything. They know it's time for the Bible. Good answer. It's Bible time, and so we're going to open our Bibles. So if you brought your Bibles, if you will open them to Jeremiah, they're about in the middle of your Bible. Jeremiah, we're going to look at chapter 32, and as, as the Akuvion family did an awesome job reading for us, we're going to cover verses 36 through 41. And so I want to just introduce you to what today is. It's called family worship because if you're a family and you haven't grabbed one of these out in the uh, Connect desk, you'll want to. It's a milestone map. A ton of prayer and thought and energy has gone into producing this milestone map. On top of everything that we do as church ministry for your children and to equip you as parents, we developed this milestone map that covers from cradle as you'll see, there's first steps. That's something coming up next week, all the way through college. And we've thought through it, and our, our family ministries thought through all the major milestones that your child will go through that we want to especially lean in and provide an extra equipping event. And the one that we're on today is called Family Worship, and it takes place about the age that your children start going to school. We say if they can start to sit in a classroom then we think it's time for them to, for parents to be willing to say, well, they can also learn to sit in the worship service. But what we hope you see is that how tremendously valuable family worship is, that having your children in here is a huge, huge blessing to them. We know it's countercultural. We know that a lot of places want to take the kids and set them aside and, and just entertain them. And, and, or take a different approach. I'm not saying that they're all bad. I'm just saying that our approach is countercultural. We think that the best thing for your children is that when they hit kindergarten, first grade, that they start worshiping in here with you. And we know it can get a little crazy. We know how it is, and that's okay. There's a lot of grace. This is a place of grace. And so we had a packed first hour, and we have a packed this hour. And so we're super excited to have children in the worship service with us today. And so grab one of these at the Connect Guest if you're a family and you don't have one. But if you are living at home, whether it's uh, the youngest age all the way to the older students, would you stand and just allow me to honor you? So everyone stand right now. Good, good. Stand, stand. If you're living at home... No matter what, from the older students to the youngest, parents, give them a hand for being here today. All right. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. So, be, but no, 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 stay standing, stay standing. Now, now, students, I want you to turn, look at your parents and say, thank you for bringing me to church today. Go ahead, go ahead. Thank you, thank you very much. All right. Now, remain standing, remain standing. I know you hate it, but you're going to do it just a little longer. And I'm going to ask God's great blessings on your life, all right? Lord God, we just love these children, these older children, younger children, all ages. We are so thankful for every child is a gift from God. And Lord, we are so thankful to have had the opportunity to include them in worship. Lord, I pray your great blessings on their life. I pray that your spirit works powerfully in their hearts. God, I pray that you will just captivate their hearts, that they will see you as the greatest treasure in this life, and that you will reorient their heart, their values, their priorities around 
worshiping you. Not because they have to, not because they should, but because you've so captured the love of their heart that they see you as the ultimate great good in their life. Lord, would you do that work by the power of your spirit in their hearts. Use these parents in powerful ways. May these parents be exemplar worshipers. May these parents value you, trust you, obey you, prioritize you the way that they want to see their children do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, be seated. All right, kids, what is this? That's right, man, y'all are on your game today. Now, when my wife saw me taking this soccer ball, my wife and daughter, and I told them I was going to have it in the worship service, this look of fear came over her face. And I know what that look was. It was, please don't embarrass the family. You know what? I am, I am a superstar when it comes to soccer. I mean, I'm about to dribble. No, she said, don't juggle. Don't do anything. The only reason why I'm not is because I don't want everyone to feel less about themselves, you know? And I've got on these weird-looking shoes, so I'm just going to set it right there. Did you see that skill right there? What? That's called skill. All right, so I'm done. That's all I'm doing. Everybody can relax. But I bring that soccer ball because I want you all to think about what we're doing in here is very similar to what you are doing during the week if you are on a soccer team. What do I mean by that? How many of you are on a soccer team? Raise your hand if you're on a soccer team. How many of you are on a football team, basketball team, any team sport? All right, so that pretty much got everybody. So we're going to look at today at what it what we're doing in here, and we're going to see it is all about training for the big game day. Now, let me ask the Lord to bless. Lord, I pray for your help this morning in this service. I pray that you will capture our heart. I pray that the word of God will come alive, that you'll give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Parents, you know, you and I know, both know that when we think about the future for our kids, if we're honest, a lot of times we feel a little bit discouraged. We think, man, what kind of world are they going to live in? Parents, anybody, anybody relate to that? Well, that's exactly what we see going on in this text today. God has a word for the people of Israel, and it is in the midst of terrible circumstances. As the Kuvians read, look at verse 36. This is Jeremiah 32, 36. It says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city. When you think about our city, Where's your mindset? When you think about your kids growing up in this city, think about what's going on in Israel and what is going on in their city. The Lord says, concerning this city, which you say, it is given to the hand of the king of Babylon by sword. When it says the city's been given to the king of Babylon by sword, that means it was taken by force, by war, by sword, and by famine, and by pestilence. And so just stop there and understand that Israel is in a dark day because of their sin. They have followed the desires of their heart in places that God said, don't go there, it's ugly. You don't want to do that. Stop ignoring me, stop putting me aside because the path that you're on leads to destruction, leads to sword, famine, and pestilence, and that kind of life. And so they were living in sin, and God in his kindness because he loved them, said, I've got to get their attention. I've got to turn them away. And so he gets their attention by saying, all right, you're going to lose all the enjoyment of this blessed land, of being in the presence of God and enjoying him fully. And that's what sin does to us. 
That's what following the path of sin leads to. It leads to famine and pestilence and sword. It leads to destruction, division, and pain, and and nothing that we think it's going to give us. It always leads down a destructive path. And so they are in a very hopeless situation. They think we've lost our homeland, we've lost our, our family, we've been, they're all divided and cast out into the, to the ends of the earth where they're not a people anymore. And so they need hope. And I think a lot of us are there where we think, well, we need hope when we think about the future of our kids. And so in that place of needing hope, that place of darkness and destruction and division and despair, God speaks a word. And that's where we need to go for hope when we start to lose hope. We go to God's word and see what God says. And what we see God doing for Israel, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And and when we read our Bibles, these Bibles have recorded for us what God says through these prophets. And so this is a huge gift that in the midst of despair and needing hope, we go to God's word and say, what has God said? What does he say to them? Well, he gives them what's called the new covenant promise. He makes a promise to them. This promise, this word of God issues a a hope-filled promise for the people who are living in exile and despair. And so we look at the first promise. In this promise, we're going to see three aspects or three different promises that are incorporated into this passage. Let's look at the first one in verse 37. God says, he promises, Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation because of their sin, they've been driven out. He says, but I will gather them. I will bring them back to this place. I will bring them back to this place of blessing. I will make them dwell in safety, which is what they desperately needed. They had just been conquered by the sword by the king of Babylon, and their longing was safety. And God says, I promise I'm going to bring my people back where they will dwell in safety. And then look what he says in verse 38. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. This is God's promise to Israel, a people who have refused to listen to him. A people, if you read the stories in the Bible, just time after time are revealed as a stiff-necked, stubborn people who say, I don't want to hear it, God. I don't want to hear it. And yet God says, I promise I'm going to make you a people. Promise number one, God will gather a people. And that should give you hope in the midst of thinking about the future of your children and your grandchildren, and you think, what has this world come to? Well, guess what? God is still fulfilling this promise. God says, I'm going to gather a people unto myself. Now, how does he do that? Well, the Bible makes it clear that all the promises we're going to look at today are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That through Jesus, he lifts up Jesus And then all the individual people who are scattered out among the nations, scattered out throughout Shreveport, scattered out throughout your neighborhoods, throughout your community, as they look up and see Jesus as the exalted Savior, they're drawn in like a net. They're being drawn in by their faith in Christ, and they're being brought from isolation and division and lostness and hopelessness into a people. A people who worship Jesus, the Savior. 
And so God is still fulfilling this promise. He is still exalting Christ, still calling people out of lostness and into the family of God. In fact, that's what the word church means. It's the called out ones. And so that's what this is all about. It's all about coming to worship is not just something you need to do because you should, because I I don't know, it's just some duty and it's just your Christian responsibility. We need to understand a much better perspective on what we're doing here. That right here, you are part of God fulfilling this promise. God is gathering a people unto himself through exalting Jesus Christ. And so when we come here today, we come for that purpose. Everything in here, it's not about me. It's not about whoever preaches. It's not about the worship leaders. It's about Jesus. And that's why we're here. We're all here to exalt Jesus, to worship Jesus, to see what God's word says. And all of God's word ultimately points to exalting, magnifying Jesus. And so he says, I'm going to gather a people unto myself. And this is going to continue until the end of times, until Jesus returns. And God is done. And so no matter how bleak you think the future is, no matter how hopeless you think the current culture is, no matter how scared you are for your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, God is still fulfilling this promise. God is doing this. And so when we come together, we're worshiping Jesus. We're a people, and that's an important collective pronoun. It's a plural pronoun, people. We're not just individuals. We're a people. There's a family, a covenant community, a people that God is creating. And so when we come in here, this worship, what is this worship? We're really training for that final day. We're training to worship. We come in here and our whole point is to worship God, to learn how to worship God. And that's why it's so important for, this, for our children to be in here with us. Because there's something that happens in here that they can't get anywhere else. And children, you need to be in here just like you need soccer practice. I'm going to have to show off some of my skills because I just can't help myself. But what are you doing if you're on a soccer team two weeks, maybe three weeks, three, excuse me, two days or maybe three days a week, depending on what kind of team you're on? What are you doing out there, kids, when you go to practice, soccer practice? What are you doing? Right? And what's the whole point? Why are you doing that? Why are the coach telling you, dribble this, pass this, let's scrimmage? What's the ultimate goal? What are they trying to do? You can just blurt it out, anybody. Yeah, they're trying to teach you. They're trying to train you. They're not saying, hey, let's just come to practice and then let's go home. And that's all there is to this. And you'd be like, wait, what? Why am I coming to practice every day? Why am I missing all this? Why am I putting in so much work? You're training for what? Game day. You're training for the big game day, right? Parents, that's what's going on right now. You're training for the big day. And you go, okay, what's the big day? Well, in the largest sense, it's eternally. It's eternity with Jesus. But in your child's lifetime, in your job responsibility with your kids, you know what this is training for? The big game day? You know what the big game day is? Ask the Grangers what they did this week or what they're doing. Ask the Googes what they did this week. Ask the Kuvions what they did this week. I'm going to make them all cry. They took the kid to college. And let me tell you what the phone calls I get when they're driving hours 
following their kid's car off to college. Let me get, tell you the phone calls I get when they're coming home. How did you do this? I'm like, it's horrible. A lot of tears. But let me tell you what, if you were to ask them, ask anybody, anybody else in here dropped your kid off for college or is about to drop your kid off to college, uh, pray for y'all. Yeah, that's right. When they're coming home and they're calling me, you know what they're not saying? I wish, I just wish I'd gotten to one more soccer practice. They're not saying, oh, I just wish I'd give them a little more time with video games. I'll tell you what, what we're thinking when we drop our kids off to of school. Is, Lord, I pray they are prepared. I pray they keep walking with you in the days ahead. That's what this is all about. This is training your children so that when the big game day comes. Because what happens in soccer these days, you know, you, you train them. If you're, a dad, if you're a coach, guys, I want to know I got street cred. Three-time, three-peat state champion team we were coach of, all right? So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to soccer. I'm not going to tell you that I was just like the assistant coach and had nothing to do with that set out cones, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> but what you do is you, you, you probably have seen it because Americans, we think that when game day is out there, we're supposed to be yelling at the kids and telling them exactly what they do. Pass the ball to them. Pass the ball to them. Kick it in and boot it, which is the never say boot it. You should say pass it. All right, so that's not how it works in soccer. The whole point of soccer is you train them in, tra- in practice, in training. And then when it's game day, you let them play. You, you be quiet. And that's why you're mad at your coaches that they're not coaching. It's because they, they have, that's the philosophy in soccer is no, you coach in practice, you let them play and do what you've taught them on the field. You can't control them on the field. And when they go off to college and it's game day, you can't control them. It's time for them to show you what you've trained them. And so when does it start? It doesn't start when they're heading off to college. Now I'm going to help them stay in the faith. Now I'm going to tell them how important it is to go to church while you're in college. And now I'm going to tell them that when you go out on your own and you become an adult, keep Jesus front and center. It's too late. Sorry. For the most part, except for God's grace. But you need to understand The training starts now. This is practice. This is training. And what they're doing is they're looking around at you and they're watching you, how you respond when the word of God's open, how you listen to the word of God, how when you get home, you say, okay, how do I obey that? You're teaching them now what you want them to do on game day when they leave the house. So this is a big deal. And all of us are a part of the training. It's a, notice, the, as I said already, the plural p- p- pronoun of people. We are a people. So I'm, I'm old. Our kids are out of the house. But you know what? I still, Dan and I still have a role in your kid's life. The way we respond to them up here, the way that we interact with them, the way we encourage them, and the way if they aren't getting everything right, we're not, you know, frown, be quiet, this is church. You know, we're not doing that. We're saying we love you and we're encouraging faithfulness and we're teaching. And that's what all of us, whether we have a child sitting in the seats right now or not or a grandchild, we are a people 
who are collectively raising up the next generation of worshipers. So that's why this is such a big deal. And now let me just say this. If you will give training your children worship, the commitment that we, I'm keeping myself in there, that we give to this, we're going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? If we will be as committed to raising our children, I didn't say this is bad, I just said if we will be as committed to raising worshipers as we are to this, we're going to do a good job with our kids. All right, so promise number one, God is raising up a people. Promise number two is found in verse 39. He says, I will give them one what? Everyone say it with me. I will give them one? I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Now, when he says fear me, children, when he's not talking about be afraid of God, God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. That word means to respect, to have, to think he is awesome, to worship him, to revere him, to respect him, much like you would have a healthy respect for your parents. He is saying, God says, I will give them one heart, one way that they may fear God, revere God, respect God, think he's awesome, worship God forever. And why? For their own good and for the good of their children and their children after them and their children. Because this is an everlasting covenant that I, listen to what God promises to do. God says, I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the awesome worshipful, reverent respect of God, of me, he says, in their hearts. God says, I will put that, that heart of worship in them. That's what you want for your kids. God says, I can give them that heart that they may not turn from me when they leave the house. You see what God is saying? God is saying, I'm gonna do in them and for them what you really want for them, or at least what you should really want for them. I will do that, God says. I promise. So promise number two, God will grant a heart. This is the new heart of the new covenant. This is a heart that has the spirit of God that when someone turns to Christ and embraces Christ as Savior, the spirit of God dwells in them. Think about that for a second. God Almighty dwelling inside your child. That's what you want when they go to spend the night at someone else's house. That's what you want when they leave forever the home. You want God living in them. And the Spirit does three things we see in this text. Unifying the people of God. One heart, one way that we become a part, that that child, you, when you embrace Christ, becomes a part of a family, never alone again, never isolated. You have a family that loves you, a spiritual parent, a spiritual grandparent, a spiritual great-grandparent, spiritual brothers and sisters that is your family, unified in Christ. And the Spirit of God promises also to transform from the inside out. And that is the game changer. 
What the Spirit of God does inside our hearts is changes it from I gotta, I shoulda, I woulda, I needa, to I wanna. We don't come here because I got to, because I gotta come more than I don't or God's mad at me. That's not how it works. It's that he captures the heart. He changes the heart. He says, I wanna be with my people who love Jesus. I wanna, I wanna sing songs about Jesus. I wanna get in God's word because I, I wanna learn it. I wanna grow and understand it. I wanna live for God. I wanna sing about him. I wanna be with brothers and sisters who encourage me. I wanna pray together. I love being with God's people. That's what the spirit of God transforms us from the inside out. And then he says, finally, he keeps them forever. He perseveres. He makes sure that they don't turn away. Those who are trusted in Christ and are filled with the Spirit of God and are launched off into adulthood will not forsake him. Isn't that what you want for your children? What could be more important than that? This is what we want in their lives. This is what we want in our lives. We want to be worshipers from a heart that just treasures Jesus. So committing to get your kids here to worship, to core class, it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, kids, let me ask you again, as we look at the soccer and we think about soccer, how many of you go to soccer, you're tired, and you know you got a mountain of homework that your parents are going to make you do at home, and then your soccer, teach, soccer coach says, now when you get home, do your homework. No, he doesn't say that. When you get home, I want you to juggle it a hundred times and I want you to kick it against the wall and I want you to practice hitting it with the inside of your foot and I want you to stay on the top half of the ball and I want you to juggle and we're going to have a drill and I want to see you be able to dri- juggle it a hundred times. What? I thought we just had practice. Why is he doing that? To make you better. Parents, the training doesn't stop two hours up here. You got to work on it at home. That's where it really happens. What we're doing up here, coming together and here to worship, it's a blessing and it's important. And it needs to be here like training is with the team. And we have core classes that you're going to hear more about that are designed specifically. We have one called Family Discipleship right now that was jam-packed. But if you missed it, come next week at 9.30. New schedule started today. At 9.45 to 10.45, we have incredible core classes that are designed to help you. They last seven weeks. Then it's a subject change. Seven weeks, subject change. And we're constantly trying to say, we're trying to support you. We can't do it for you. That's the clinic. That's the coach's clinic. Oh, this is getting good. I'm going to write a book. It's the coach's clinic. We're trying to teach you in those core classes. This is what you need to be doing at home. Because let me tell you something. That's where it happens. You got to live what you want your kids to be. And you say, I'm a failure. And I promise you, I have mentally committed not to beat you up and make you feel guilty because it's just too easy on this topic. I don't want you to feel that. 
I want you to just have a vision for what you're shooting for. We all feel like failures when it comes to this, but there is grace. This is why it's so important because God has made the promise that he will be faithful to do his part. His part is the heart work, heart work. Your part is hard work, but it is feeding them the word of God, being an example before their eyes. When you mess up, I know you never will, but if you happen to mess up, you go into them with humility and grace and you say, please forgive me. I've already talked to the Lord and asked him for forgiveness for my sin. Did you know that's how Jesus works? And you teach even through your shortcomings. But God expects you to do your part, which is to train them. You put them in the path of God's grace. You get them the word of God. It is through prayer and the word of God that the spirit takes the word and rocks their world by changing their heart. God's job is the heart. Your job is prayer and the word in community, the church community and your family community. And we're here to support you. Parents, your responsibility is to do your part and to pray and trust that God is going to do his part. In verse 41, we find our third and final promise. Promise number one, hope you're writing this down, students. God will gather a people. Promise number two, God will grant a heart. Promise number three, God will greatly bless. Verse 41 is where I get this one. He says, God says, I, listen to this, I will rejoice in doing them good. I mean, he's, he's happy, he's filled with joy to do good for us, to do good for you, to do good for your children. And he says, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness and I'll do it, God says, with all my heart and soul. So God is telling us the bullseye center of his will, of what he's doing, and it is to greatly bless you. He finds great joy in greatly blessing you and your children. And he says, if you will just stay in my presence with obedience and faithfulness, you will be lavished with God's blessings, his great goodness, his glory, his faithfulness. He takes pleasure in bringing you good. This is so hard for me to imagine that I even need to make this statement. But in our culture, I feel like I need to make this statement. It is not bad for you to bring your children up here for two hours. Let me say that again. It is not bad for you to have your children up here for two hours. Even if your children are young enough that they're back there for two hours or one hour, it is not bad for you. Why do I say that? Do you need to hear that? Well, let's do a little test to help you go, hmm, did I need to hear that? Well, first of all, when I said it's not bad for you to have your children up here for two hours, where are you going, well, it's actually longer than two hours. Mm. Are you counting the time? As if it's bad for your children to be with the people of God who worship God and to have gifted teachers who are pouring into their life saying the same thing that they're hearing at home. That your kids are going, wow, that's the same thing mom said. I thought mom had no clue. 
or to have some cool young adult poured into them and saying the same thing dad is saying and their teenager is going, okay, maybe there's something to this. It is not bad. You see, we've got this idea that, oh, we're, we're, our kids are just too busy. Please think about it. This is not equal activity. The church and God's word and worship is not on the same ground and same level as anything else. Nothing else. It needs to be just no-brainer. This is priority. You want your kid, trust me, when they go off into adulthood, not even sure why, but just knowing, I don't know, I just feel like I need to be in church. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. God is saying, I will greatly bless you and your children. Let me promise you this, no one else is as committed to the good of your child than God Almighty. And the word of God and the people of God, nobody, nobody. We're not trying to be nice to them because we need them on the team. We are here for their good because of God and his glory. And while they're here, what is God doing in their hearts? Verse 41 again, God is rejoicing and doing them good. And God is planting them in his land in faithfulness. And with his heart and with his soul, he's blessing them. So just ask your friends who've dropped them off at college this week, who've showed up for game day. What do you wish you had done? And I promise you, they won't say anything else more important than I wish, I hope, I taught my child to love the Lord with all their heart. And that's your game. That's your mission, training them for that. God, we pray for your help. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your promise that if we will do our part, that we can just rest and trust you to do your part. Lord, help us to see how good it is to to get our children in the word of God, to, to get our children to see in the household a love for Jesus to get our children in church where others in the family are teaching them the word of God and and worshiping the word of God, worshiping God of the word in front of them. Lord, help us to raise our children, another generation to love you and to be faithful to you that you may be glorified to the ends of the earth, Lord. We thank you for these promises that you have said that you will gather a people unto yourself, give them a new heart, one heart, one way, and that you will greatly bless. And that is our hope for the future, and that is the direction of our lives. That's That's the vision that we are called to raise our children. We want our children and our church to have a heart after you, the way we're going to see in Samuel, that you said, David is a man after my own heart. Lord, give us that heart. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.